Welcome to Grazed in America podcast. I'm your host, August Horstman. Now, and then uh, if you want to just tell us uh, who you are, what, uh where you're located and just talk, talk about what you do that'd be awesome well i'm randall walker uh topnish washington owner of state of stock dogs and livestock um third generation rancher started using dogs real dogs about 20 years ago i mean we always had dogs but back then they didn't want dogs going to the head they wanted to drive dog um seen my first Real dogs when I got out of shoeing school, and that was that I was hooked. Um, we we were a cow calf operation, but we've turned the corner a bit more to background in yearlings and Dorper sheep. Um, we still have a few pairs, but our pairs are more seasonal now. Uh, beings we buy a lot of broken mouth cows, calve them out, and then take the whole family to town. Um, mm-hmm. Saves on saves on summer feed and stuff like that, and you don't have bulls. Not to worry about them getting buried. Okay. Um, border collies, right? Border collies. When we first started, uh, good dogs I seen was border collies and one kelpie, but back then. Um, it wasn't as easy to obtain the type of dogs that we wanted to do what we were doing. So we went through the whole uh, crossbred, you know, crossbred dogs, cur dogs. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they'd bite a cow, I'd have them, I guarantee you. Yeah. And it wasn't until we got Zorro that we finally got a border collie tough enough to do the job yeah and what were you doing back then where you needed that tough of a border collie was it just typical like pair work where you needed a dog to stand up typical pair work and i mean we were running in big country i mean our breeding pasture was four sections okay section 640 right yep big country rough cattle um, and we do, we caught a lot of wild cattle. I mean, that's, that's the other thing we did. We kind of specialized in catching cattle that other people couldn't catch. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so there's a, <laughs> we've already, I've already got a ton of, ton of stuff. Um, so what is that, that environment? Is that kind of desert, high desert? High desert, high desert, rolling hills, brush. I mean, a lot of people think Washington, they think rain and and trees, but that is on the side of the Cascades over here. Uh, not not very many trees and a lot of sagebrush and very little water. Okay. And what's, uh, what's kind of like the standard ranch size or pasture size out there? Um, you know, it's back then uh we ran under my grandfather which was an enrolled uh yakima so we, we ran up this area and there's a lot more ground up there i mean this this res is a million plus acres so we our summer lease was up there and we ran up there from april to november and then we'd come back down and run in corn stalks and pastures and stuff in the winter but since his passing we lost that lease up there and that's why we we kind of shifted gears from the cow calf operation to to the yearlings and the sheep, and we figured out on the sheep we could run five sheep for one cow, mm-hmm. and with that sheep having twins, um, and we just figured that lambs at 150 around that doesn't take very much pencil work to figure out then you make more often five sheep and you do that one cow on the same amount of feed yeah and then every other year they'll do it twice so now 
there's no way there's no way for them cows to compete with that and i mean you're, you're running on less ground and the nice thing about running them behind the yearlings is they'll eat the stuff that the yearlings won't eat mm-hmm. so you're bringing in yearlings you got rid of majority of the cows following them with five sheep per per head um and then are those yearlings are those like custom grazed yearlings or are those uh something that you guys uh purchase and and then turn out for the season a, a little a little bit of both i mean we'll sit down there and, and buy buy calves until we have a load put together i mean because if you if you pick and choose through there you know buy singles and stuff like that around the same way you can put your load together and now you got a group and you're gonna get a better price mm-hmm. yep. um we did some of the custom feeding deal and that that's a great deal because i mean it's all profit and no no risk yep. but you don't make near as much but you don't make near as much money and if the market crashes then you're you're sitting pretty nice yeah yeah kind of the risk and reward yeah i mean this year i don't know i, I mean with the way prices are i don't really know how anyone's gonna make money um it's pretty scary if you ask me with all well, guys are pretty jacked about the prices but i mean that's some bucks this year sometimes and when you're paying them prices uh it, it's pretty hard to pencil out yeah that's kind of i talked to a guy uh on sunday he he was on and you know we were talking about that we're pretty dry for our area and uh, hay's pretty scarce and you know and those prices being the way they uh are and then the hay price is the way they're gonna be you know it is a it's a little intimidating you know when uh five weight calves around here six weight calves are 1200 bucks you know exactly you know and 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 hay just seems like it's going to continue going up i mean uh so that's that's a little scary too i mean yeah Yep. But uh, on a good note, I did hear that there, around this area, there should be more. They have quite a bit of hay, and there's going to be quite a bit more this year because they didn't export near as much last year. So yep. there's leftover, leftover feeder hay. And where where would the hay be exported? Like just to other states, or is it going out of the country? It was going it was going to Japan, I believe. Really, they export a lot of hay. They export a lot of hay out of here to Japan. Really? And they can, I guess, what is it? <laughs> how much more would you have to get to send it over there? I have no idea, man. That's I just know that's where it goes. Huh. But, I mean, they all want number number one, and if it, if it has any rain damage or anything like that, they won't export. And you, can, you can usually buy it in kickouts pretty, re- pretty reasonable. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with it other than it's bleached or something, you know? Yeah. It'll still feed a cow for a little bit. Right. Yeah, oh. the nutrition value there, just it's not as pretty as the other half. Yeah, I see. Um, When you switched to, to sheep, you were, when you first got into border collies, you were looking for a, a tough dog because you were catching, you know, wild cattle, et cetera, running in rough country. Now switching to sheep have you had to reassess what you're breeding or 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 no 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 i still breed for the same type of dog um the only difference is i have to have a little better handle on them for the sheep um but i'm still when uh, when i'm breeding for that dog i'm still breeding the same dog i was to catch them wild cattle and and handle them rough them rough range bears yeah so you're and then what you're putting maybe more emphasis on is the training the handling side of that dog uh, the, the training yeah yeah definitely i mean uh I mean, when we started trialing i mean my dogs i mean i could they were just dogs i mean i could send them i could send them i could stop them i could call them back mm-hmm. um back then we didn't we didn't do a lot of driving everything was pretty much you know get the dog to the backside and let them figure it out and i mean that 
even that's changed a bunch because like when I started, I mean, I didn't know what balance was. And they said, I'll put that dog on the backside. And so as long as that dog was back there on the backside, I thought he was balancing. Well, that's, that's not even close to, to true. Um, that dog's wearing back there. He's not on balance. Um, and I mean, a lot, a lot of times them dogs are too tight in, in that flight zone and not backing off. And, and mm-hmm. you know, they started, started a lot of fights. So the, when we started trialing and I mean, when we went to that first trial, hell, I'd never even seen one. And after that, I, you know, I got to see some stuff. And that's when things really change. I mean, that you had to up your game. Yeah. And uh, so basically they were back there and they were just pushing constantly without kind of a give and take, right? P- pressure and yeah, release. Yeah, there, it was all – there was no release. All push. No release. Yep. And but, then, I mean, them, do- them dogs are real strong, so then we're going to move off. That, I mean, that's – that's the only choice they had. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just, but it would just kind of wear, wear on both towards the end of the day. Oh yeah. Uh, and I mean, how, what's some of like the biggest stuff you've gathered out of? Uh, the biggest country. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, that we went to Snyder, Texas, and I think that place was 33,000 acres or 13,000 acres or something. I mean, it was and, fairly big. And, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Like, my average pad- <laughs> my average pasture is like 10 acres. Um, yeah, no, I mean, up here, I mean, in irrigated ground, you can run a cow for two acres. In the dry ground, it's anywhere from 25 to 45 acres per cow, just depending on where you're at. Uh-huh. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on was your, your broken mouth pairs. So you, you go to the uh-huh. barn, you buy those, uh, and you said no bulls with them. So. No, no, you go, yeah, you go buy them, you go buy them broken mouth bread cows, calve them out, and then in the spring, you take the whole family to town. You take, uh, like, as a baby calf, or you take her, you just calve her and get rid of her, or, you, or do you take that calf? No, well, you, we'll usually run them till May, mm-hmm. till May, June. I mean, that's when it really starts drying up up here. And then once it starts, once the grass starts turning, and that's when everything goes to town. Yeah. And is that when your stalkers it, leave, too? Um, per, yeah, pretty much. I mean, we don't really run in the, during the summer. We don't really run very many cows and what like dad's keeping, but, um, and that, that way that kind of saves, saves our grass, gives our pastures a break so that we can restock in the fall. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so when, when would like those bred cows come or your stalkers come? Um, October, November. Okay. And then you're kind of, you're wintering them. Right. And can you winter, is it what kind of winters are that can you winter with grazing? Well, it depends. Now the wintering depends on how bad of a winter we have. Yeah. In a typical winter. I mean, is it's not just covered up well, with snow all the time. Um, not all the time. I mean, there's winters. That, yeah, I mean, it's, it shows up in November and it don't leave till March. Then ones are tough because you got to feed hay. And then it wastes a lot of your corn stalks because it's underneath the snow and they can't get to it. But mm-hmm. we figured out a deal on them corn stalks. I learned from a buddy of mine up north. And what you do is it's a pain in the ass because you got to move that fence every couple days. But you only open that, you only open them corn stalks up about a, you know, and that way the cows will eat the tops, the middles, and the bottoms, and they'll clean that all up, and then you open it up, and then you open it up some more. Now, you, you do have to, you have to move your, like I said, every three days, which is, yeah, and in the wintertime when it's cold and sucks, it really sucks, but you, you utilize all of your fields, and your cattle do better rather than, 
then stomping feet in the ground, walking across it, being ticked. Yep. Yep. I move, uh, so just temporary fence, strip grazing corn stalks. We do, uh, yeah. that's how I, I, we stockpile fescue, you know, so our pasture, and then I'll strip graze uh, daily to feed, you know, as kind of my winter feed source. But right. that's only on one set of cows, so I'm probably not as big of an area either. Um, when you go strip graze, are you do you do that with uh, just like on a four wheeler, I guess, or pickup, or can you get to it on a pickup? Um, not really in the pickup, but usually four wheel, just just a foot, man. Yeah, I mean it's yeah, it's not really I not really ideal but it is ideal yeah and are you doing anything to train cattle to those to that you know wire and that or are you just turning them out in there and then you catch the ones that get out and put them back until they get till they finally learn yeah you know they usually then cattle usually only hit that fence and, and we've educated them to a dog before we take them down there so they usually only hit that fence once, maybe, I mean, maybe twice, and then they're pretty happy to it. I mean, it, it, like a lot of times when you go to take them out of there, like where they know the gate is, um, they don't want to cross that because they're worried about, you know, they, they I mean, it's like an imaginary fence there. They don't want to cross. Mm-hmm. I see. Um do you try to educate every cow you turn out to your dog before you turn them out? Uh, yeah, it makes it a lot easier on the cow and the dog. And what do you do to do that? Um, I just get them pins here at the place before we ever get down there. And then, you know, I mean, have that dog apply some pressure and it would let that cow make every decision. So, if she wants to come to that dog, that dog's obviously going to bite her. And if she, you know, chooses to move off, she moves off. But every cow, every choice that was made was by that cow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if the dog's down and then the cow walks up and then you have the dog bite it, right? And then the dog right. goes down and the cow, you know. Okay. Um, kind of switching gears a little bit. Uh, I found you through youtube oh probably in 2012 and that's i was looking to get into the cow dogs you know had all my dog breeds down you know healers kelpies hanging trees border collies australian shepherds etc and then i watched the one video i think you worked five dogs at one time off of uh i think they were like on a wagon or something so that would have been what 10 years ago about and, yeah, an old hay wagon. Yeah, and uh, so watch that. That's when I decided I was going to go with a border collie. Um, what made you start doing YouTube videos? Or did... um, just a way to advertise advertise the dogs. You know, I mean, like you said, you look on YouTube. At that time, you get on YouTube and you wouldn't see nothing real. Or you'd see some sheepdog stuff where they're telling you not to let them bite them and, and stuff like that, which we have arranged sheep. Like, hey, that's what blows me away about sheepdog trials is you can't bite them. Well, on these range use, a lot of them, if you don't bite them or if they can bluff that dog out, that, you're not getting them. So yeah. the whole no biting thing, I mean, that, you know, there's a lot of that on YouTube and all the dogs should never bite. Yeah, I, I strongly disagree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of why uh, we started our YouTube channel, started putting videos up there of dogs doing, you know, real work. Yeah. And, I mean, it's taken off, right? Oh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's several guys doing it now. No, I meant just from, from your business standpoint, kind of that online marketing side of it. Um. Yeah, because like I said, I mean, when we started this, there was none of that. There, I mean, you know, finding a, a good dog was, was hard. I mean, they'd be at the sale yard or somewhere, and they'd have something on the bulletin board or in the old thrifty nickel. They'd have an ad in there, and 
boy at that time, you got one that even just bite one, you were just ecstatic. But I mean, in the last 20 years, this game has really changed. Yeah. And, you know, and, and back then, Red Bluff, if they did something great at Red Bluff, oh, my God, you have, had to have them bloodlines. And, and nowadays, love it, though, knows that uh, they sell at Red Bluff, you, you couldn't even give me. Oh, yeah. Why is that? Well, they're just they're ninety day wonders. I mean, they're not they're not true true tested dogs, and and a lot of slash biting there. And, and I mean, that's what them people want to see. They want to see that dog run by that head and jerk on that cow and turn them. I'd rather see that dog clear that cow, square up, give that cow a chance to make the decision, and then if she makes the wrong one, you know, make her pay for it. Yeah. But by that dog running by there and jerking on that cow's head. She never really got to make a decision. She just kind of got sucker punched. Yeah, just kind of uh, kind of caught off guard, and she could continue to blow right past the dog. Exactly. Right. And, then you, and then usually when wreck. they do that, when they do that, they're coming in at the shoulder. The cow doesn't really see them, and then they jerk on that cow, and she's not sure what happened, but God dang, did it suck. Mm-hmm. You know, by that dog clearing and out in front she knows exactly what's gonna happen yeah yeah so it's kind of you're saying send that dog way around and get way ahead of her yeah yeah don't go i mean if if you know anything about moving cattle that you know you don't get behind them and push them you get off to the side so they could see you and behind that shoulder and you can continue to drive them forward well when that dog comes in at the shoulder what's he doing he's driving that cow forward yeah, until and it's picking up speed until it finally picking just has speed. to lunge at it to get it. Yep. Yep. I have a problem with my my female that I use. She's she does that. But I use her in pins more for sorting now. You just something that's uh my first dog to tra- I trained. So just rookie mistakes. Well, that's that's going to happen. Yep. That's going to, you know, and everyone, I always tell people, you don't want a, a green handler and a green dog. You're, you're better off, better off getting a dog that knows a little something and and learn from that dog and then start you on. Don't start with a, a damn puppy or a dog you're just fixing. This, you know, you don't know nothing. You're going to start this dog. You're going you're gonna to have some wrecks. Yeah. I've had my fair share with this dog. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so, like, some of your – you have clinics now, right, where you can – We do. We, yeah. We, we started clinics back in, I think, 2016, and I never wanted to do clinics. And, I, and when I had Roy up here, uh, told Roy I didn't want to – I didn't want to do clinics, and he said, oh, no, mate, keep doing them. He says, it'll make you better, which it does, because you have to analyze and break down what you're doing, why you're doing it, what you see, you know. Mm-hmm. So it does make you better, but, I mean, it's it's pain in the butt. The whole reason we started doing them was we'd sell a started dog, and then people would be mad because, number one, they didn't listen. They got a new toy. They took it home, and they wanted to use it right then. There was no transition period for the, the dog to learn their tone of voice or their mannerisms, and, I mean, the dog doesn't know them from Adam, so they're like, yeah, you're not in charge, I am, whatever. And then the other reason was is because they were trying to drive with that started dog, and they'd be pissed because they went to pin some cattle or push them through a gate, and the dog is up there walking the hole. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, just trade places with the dog, and they're like, go get it away. And I'm like, hold on. You can't drive them over the dog, but if you swap places, they're going to get away. So the, the clinics was more to start educating people about these dogs and what and show people what these dogs could really do and how to use and utilize these dogs. Mm-hmm. And and you said you started that in sixteen. Yep. And I mean, how many? Cl- you're. I kind of was looking. You've got what five or six scheduled for this year at least. We do between six and eight clinics a year. Six and eight. Um, and most, I mean, all skill levels, all, all, all different skill levels. I mean, 
um, you know, since we've had quite a bit of success trialing now, so I mean, guys will come and and want that edge on trialing, or you know, just the rancher wanting that dog just to at least stop when they when they're having a wreck. Yeah. Um. So I mean, yeah, all all different skill levels. Cool. Uh, who? Who did you kind of learn your training from, trial and error, or was there somebody that you kind of followed? There was a lot of trial and error in the beginning, and then we went. I went to. uh, I met Tom Blaisdell when we started trialing, and then he came up here and put on a clinic, and then um, through buying dogs and stuff, met Eric Warman and went to one of his clinics, and then. We went to the NCA finals in 2014, 13 or 14, something like that. Uh, met, I mean, I'd talked to Kyle Dillard on the phone and stuff, but I'd never met him. Well, I met him there, and then not too long after that, went down to his place and worked dogs with him and Kenneth Beasley and um kevin radford and then i mean just through trial and that guy who went and watched and and would see something that their dog was doing that mine wasn't per se and i would just watch and see how they got that dog to do that mm. so just- and then i mean I, I i've got a huge a huge library anybody that's ever wrote a book on working dogs i probably read it or if they have a, a dvd i probably have it and so, I mean, I studied that extensively and then, you know, met Roy and, and me and Roy hit it off and started incorporating quite a bit of his method into what I do. Mm-hmm. And so just go on watching, you know, submersing yourself in it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and like from my house to Kyle's house, it's 26 hour drive one way. Mm-hmm. And you just drove down there to work dogs with him? I loaded up, drove down there, worked dogs there. And then from there, we loaded up and went to Kenneth Beasley's. And I mean, we just, for a couple of years, we made that, we made that trip every, we'd make it in the spring and in the fall. So twice a year, we'd be down there working dogs with all them guys. How many dogs would you take at a time? As many as we could get on the truck. (laughs) Like in just kennels or? Yeah, I mean, just. Just dog crates, man. Huh. I mean, we'd have that truck stacked up with dog crates, and we'd be we'd hit the road. How how many dogs do you have currently? There's... Um, uh, my own personal dogs. I, I have twelve. Twelve. I don't know. That's not like asking how many cows you have, is it? It's kind of yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, and those are just kind of dogs that you use to whatever you so, keep breeding those up. are dogs that, I, dogs that i use dogs that are going to maturity i mean we started out with um 14 dogs for the fraternity this fall and we're going to take three mm. and just as they what something happens that uh they you know what what was your criteria for them leaving well, one got killed, so we really didn't have a choice on that matter. Nope. And then just just little things that I'm looking for. I mean, it doesn't mean that they're a bad dog or they're not, you know, they're not good. They're just not something that I want to keep or add or, you know. I mean, and we're, like a lot of them dogs, we're splitting hairs, you know. I mean, like the one dog's a really good dog, but me and him just don't get along. So, um, but, so he, you know, he left. And goes, I mean, do you sell something? And the guy has him now thinks it's the best dog ever, so it worked out. Yeah, so you sell something that really doesn't make your cut, probably makes a pretty dang good dog for somebody else. Yeah, we're looking for, like, the top 10% of the breed. And for most people, we call them 80 percenters, they're going to be the best dog they've ever had. Mm Mm-hmm. So just because it doesn't fit the bill here, I mean, I'm looking for very, very specific things, and most people are just looking for something to help them pin their cattle. Yeah. What, uh, I mean, do, can you, 
say what you're looking for, trade secret, and what you're looking for. I mean, some oh. people don't give out yeah, I what mean, they want to look for. That, you know, natural instincts. Uh, and, and, I mean, we'll go, I'll go to grading them dogs on how hard they bite. Mm-hmm. You know, that dog, he's a great dog. He does everything right. He doesn't bite hard enough. I don't want to put him in. I don't want to breed to him. I see. Um, this dog is real great. He, you know, he's he's a big dog. He's not fast enough. I mean, I, I like I like a big dog, but he has to be fast. I don't want a big slow one. Yeah. What about some? I mean, some stuff you see about, or you know, watch on YouTube or read about, or hear people talking about Facebook, whatever. A dog that comes in, like he he hits a year old before he uh, starts uh, showing any inclination of herding. Um, I've had those. I mean, Zorro, Zorro was a year old before he did anything. And so, um, that really doesn't bother me. What I'm looking for up to their year old, and I don't care if they're turned on, but what I'm looking for, are they afraid? Are they afraid of that stock? Is that why they're not? I mean, I've had dogs that were later starters, but they had zero fear of that stock and that continued all the way through their lives. Mm-hmm. They were just slower, mentally maturing type dogs. Yeah. Like, I I have one right now that, I mean, he just, I think in, he'll be a year old this uh, September. And, yeah, it's like he doesn't run away from them, but he just pays them zero mind. Yeah. So. Yeah, you know, and I mean, a long time ago, they they said not to put them on stock at all until they're a year old. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Ah, uh, I've changed. I, mean, I start stock testing them pups at seven weeks old. Yeah, you know, and, I, and same thing for them. See if uh, if they're afraid. If they're afraid, now they have to be well socialized. You can't just leave them in the kennel and jerk them out and take them out there. I mean, everything's new and sounds and bangings and now there's animals. So they have to at least be socialized. And so at five weeks, I start taking them pups out and taking them for little walks with their mom, you know, and and letting them see stuff and smell stuff. and, And then I wean them at six weeks and then take them for a few walks on their own, just with me, you know, no mom, no more. And then we go to stock. Mm-hmm. And, and that's you know that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for for fear. Anything that shows fear, they're not going to make a cow dog, and there's nothing that I want my name on. Yeah. So what happens to those? Um, we got a lady that takes them, and, and um, they go as pets or agility dogs or frisbee dogs or whatever. Okay, so she takes. Um, obviously, there, there's a high demand because, like, let's say I have three, and she's like, "I needed five. and I'm like, "Well, I can't magically produce two more." Yeah, so she has like, a demand. About, she's like, "What about those?" And I'm like, "No, no, those made the stock test. Those are not leaks. Yeah, and so just after a a couple stock tests, if they show any fear, where they want to what run away, run out of the pen, stand. Yeah, run away from them. They don't, you know, they're, they're afraid of them. I mean, you can you can see it. Yeah. I mean. But then. And then you just have to be real honest with yourself. I mean, a lot of people, they call it channel blindness, and because they raised them, they think they're going to be great. Well, I've raised a bunch of really well-bred ones that they were, you know, they were no account as, as a working dog. Yeah. Doesn't mean they're a bad dog. They just weren't going to be a working dog. Yeah. And then the ones that don't like, so then there's might be the ones that want to bite, right? That that are going to want to chase. Then there's going to be right. the ones that just going to want to, you know, just walk around there, run around and chase its friend, brother, sibling. So, yeah, well, see, after I take them all, after I take them all as, as a litter and put them on that stock, then we go individually. Mm-hmm. And um, and then you know I make my my final assessment as individuals. Okay. 
And then that's where. So everything that gets sold to somebody for a herding dog, it's going to go to that stock when you stock test. Yes. Yep. And then then they'll be the ones that are going to shy away or be fearful. They're going to go to the lady for the agility, whatever, house pet. And then and is that the same for the ones that don't go to the stock but they're not necessarily afraid, or do you keep those? Uh, we keep those. Just because they don't go to the stock. I mean, when I stock test them, that doesn't mean they have to go in there and go work or be hooked up right away. I'm looking for that fear because if they're not afraid of them, the light bulb just hasn't came on yet. Mm. And so, and you'll hold on to a dog for a year or so to see if that light bulb eventually comes on. Yeah, and I just keep, and what I do, I show them stock every couple of weeks. I just you know keep them socialized. I mean, um, I run them dogs on my four wheeler with my other dogs. And just keep letting them see stuff. And, I mean, kind of monkey see, monkey do. And, in fact, them dogs, them dogs that haven't turned on yet, I have a set of kennels on my alleyway where them, where them sheep and cattle come up the water. So they're seeing that stock all the time. Now, once they're turned on, I kind of get them away from that because um, I don't want them, I don't want them seeing that. And because when, and the reason being is when I go to work them or I go to start training on them, I want them instead of laying there and and staring at that stock and 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 thinking about that. I want them thinking about what we're going to do when I go get them. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. So, like, I got a uh, my dog pins look at my receiving lot. Probably should move it. Is what you're saying? Right. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, because the dogs always one thought ahead. So if they're there in their kennel and they're watching that stock. You know they're 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 fulfilling what they want without doing it because they're that you know in their mind they're doing it. So I like to take that equation away from there, so that when I take them to the stock, they're you know they 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 start to relate me taking them to the stock and what we're doing. When when I'm in with my training session, I like to go put that dog up he's in a nice quiet place where he has time to retain the information that he just got okay instead of being outside about what the dog's doing next to him or you know the stop coming in i want him i want that to sink in yeah kind of what what recap what we just did exactly yeah i want him going back to his kennel thinking about what we did yep and how long do you normally typical work with a dog is it daily every couple um, days it, it, every dog is different i mean some dogs they, they go every day and they excel real fast and some dogs if you go every day they they start lagging behind and i found with dogs like that if you do them every every other day or every couple days you, they 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 receive receive so much more out of that training session that way until you know they're more mentally mature and then you can start going every day on them yeah and what majority of the training sessions per dog is it between five and 15 minutes or do you push it i'd I'd say i'd say five and 20 minutes when we're first starting and uh go in there with the plan and and um I, i have something specific i want that dog to learn and do and once we get that we're done Mm-hmm. And that way that dog could go and, you know, let that sink in. And then the next day we'll, we'll add to that. So we got it once. Now today we want it to three times. Yeah. Just keep building. Yeah. But I see a lot of guys are, they're working to get something. They're working to get something. They finally get it. And they're like, well, let's try it one more time. And then it goes to shit. And now you just lost everything. Yeah. Better to quit while you're ahead than push it. Exactly. Um, and then, so from there, typically like on one dog, like, let's say you, you know, one dog showing all the signs, I mean, before you, you, when you start her or him at, you know, do you wait till that year or you're starting them just kind of as you, it's just each individual dog tells you. It's, it's each in. 
because, I mean, I got one now at 10 months old. And I mean, he's pretty dang broke 10 months old. And then I got his litter mate that's still quite a bit more puffy and doesn't stay hooked as long and doesn't doesn't process information as fast. Now, the the, late, the later starting dog, I think, in the end is going to be the better of the two. But he just, you know, he I can't I can't push on him like I can that other dog. Yeah. And is there like the later starting dog? Can you put him with a mature dog and kind of? jump start that hurting instinct have you like is that good technique or no um i i don't like it because they get dependent on that other dog they get to dependent on that other dog and uh i i watched a guy a long time ago and, it, and his his whole method was you take that pup and put it with that old dog well that, that pup was doing real good with that old dog. And that old dog got hurt, and he took that pup, and that pup would do shit. And all the fancy commands he thought that dog knew, he didn't know none of them. Yeah, he was just following the, the old dog. He was just following that dog. Mm-hmm. And then when things got exciting, you know, he'd bite, and whatever wherever that old dog went and whatever that old dog did was what he did. Yeah. And then once that old dog got hurt, he was on his own. He didn't do none of that. Mm. So be- I really don't. I really don't um, – I mean, now, what I will do, I'll set that pup out there outside the pen, and I'll work another dog in front of it and kind of get him excited and then take that pup in there and turn him loose. But as far as putting him in there with that other dog, I really don't like to do that. Yep. And do, I guess you start with sheep and move to cows or calves or something? Yeah, yeah. We used to – I mean, when we first started, it was all cows and um, – now we've kind of we we haven't kind of we changed. We go to them sheep first because you can step through them sheep and crack that dog and not get kicked. Uh, and it's a lot harder to do that on on cattle. Yeah. Yep. And and, and it, you know it prolongs your dog too because I mean I can't tell you when we first started how many dogs I got hurt going straight to cattle. Yeah. Got me thinking. <laughs> I my mind is my wheels are spinning. Uh, wool sheep or hair sheep? Um, I, I have I have hair sheep just because I don't want to have to shear them. Now I used to have wool sheep, but up here the Dorfer brings more money than anything, so that's what we run. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a blackface hair sheep. Yeah, and then so you just start your dogs on. One a, a couple withers or something you kept from from them or yeah yeah I mean I got a pen of withers that we that we hold back and that's what we work the dogs on and then do or you, or replacement use or you know yeah I see and then so once you've got you know you've put up quite a few works on a dog how, is there a certain number of works before you know, is it like 20 or 30 in pins before you take them out? Um, it all depends on the dog, what that dog has received, uh, retained from our training, what the dog's doing. I mean, because, you know, they're all different. I mean, I got one dog in pin works. We were already outside, you know, lengthening out outruns and doing stuff. And then I had another dog that worked 30 days. And I'm like, damn, this son of a bitch is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and like on something like that do you i mean i don't know i guess do they ever just stall out where it's like this all this dog is ever gonna do um no i mean they just you have to step back and look at what you're doing and i mean all training is is habit created through repetition now some of it will become habit to to certain dogs really fast and some you have to grind it into them mm-hmm. <laughs> so just i mean a dog that's not doing it just more you know more repetitions you're, you're not you haven't done enough repetition for, for it to become habit to that dog i see i see cool um and then going places with uh do you day work some still catch cattle 
Um, we, we do, um, we do a lot in the, in the spring and in the fall. Uh, and then like in the summertime, it's just something that some, you know, something that got out that they can't catch. Um, and like, uh, when I get, I'm going to Utah right now to do a clinic. When I get home, I have to go to bull that's, you know, got a broken pepper and they can't get him. Mm -hmm. And so like on something like that, do, do your dogs get paid? Uh, On that. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's so just for me to show up, it's 250 bucks and then it's 125 bucks for the catch for the animal per animal. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, with the group, obviously we, we do, you know, a bunch rate, but, um, if it's two, three, four head, I mean, it's by the head. Yeah. Plus, plus the two fifty, And that's just like for a day with you and however many dogs you feel you need to get to the job done. Right. I see. That's, uh, uh, I guess that probably what after your YouTube and stuff come came out. I mean, did it did people in the area? Are you kind of like the guy they all call? Um, well, now that we've educated them, they all, I mean, they've got dogs now, and they're doing a lot of it themselves. Oh, yeah. So you've you've put a lot of these guys in into border collies, I guess. Yeah. Yep. And then. Do you, at the you used to post videos of the barn. I haven't been on YouTube in a while. Do you still go to the pin cattle at the sale barn? We we do, and um, we put more videos of the sale barn. I mean, we do more on Facebook and TikTok and Instagram than we do YouTube anymore. I YouTube see. became real, real liberal, mm. and um, really didn't like the content, so we we quit op- uploading to YouTube as much. I see. And then, so you go there. I mean, that's probably a great place to continue to build on dogs. Yeah. And do you, I guess. Well, I mean, even Facebook's added a bunch of new, bunch of new laws too. And, and the same as TikTok. But you can still sell dogs on TikTok. They don't, they don't care. But if you try to sell one on Facebook, they'll delete your post and shut you down. Yeah rehoming for a fee yeah you got i don't think you can put that anymore oh really yeah that's crazy i mean you can't even write the word available on that dog oh i mean just you know my advice if you're doing something on facebook just put pm for information yeah true that's a good point um when working at the barns and pinning them do you or like what let's say working with a group of people when you were starting out did you have a problem with other people trying to tell your dogs what to do uh no i've never had that problem um but when i first got to that barn they really didn't want dogs and now we get paid to bring the dogs really and yeah is that week a weekly sale we, yeah, there, so there's two, there's three sales there a week. There's Monday's a butcher sale, uh, Thursday's a general cow sale, and then Saturday they sell cattle, sheep, goats, pigs, horses. Mm-hmm. And so, so we work, we work Mondays and Thursdays, and then in the fall they'll, they'll have a, a Tuesday night feeder sale. They'll sell between two and three thousand head a night. Holy cow! So that's a great place to take dogs. Yeah, yeah, but I mean the dogs—they uh, have to—they have to be broke. They have to—they have to listen because I mean they can—they uh, can screw things up really fast if they're out of control. And that's why when I first went down there, they didn't want dogs there because there's been guys there with dogs that didn't have any kind of handle and you know caused a big wreck. So they kind of did away with the dogs until I showed up down there and you know, my dogs would listen. And I mean, some of them, some of them bulls and especially them Holsteins, I mean, they're, they're pretty bad. They're pretty mean. Mm-hmm. They have no, no qualms about hooking your horse. And I mean, there's been quite a few guys hurt by Holstein bulls down there. So 
uh, them dogs can get them bulls' attention real quick in a hurry, and they're way more agile. And then plus you're down there on that concrete, so it's slippery for your horse. Where that dog, you know, he, I mean, the dog has no no problem navigating through there, and can get it done fairly easy. Yeah, that's cool. That's neat. They recognize that. Probably took yeah. a, took a little bit of time. Uh, oh, it, it did, but I mean now, now they get it. So yeah, and and actually, we we've had people there from other cell barns, you know, that uh, watch them dogs, and now they're they're wanting to implicate dogs into their program. Yeah, I mean, I think there is something about a like you said, a properly handled border collie. I mean, that sure beats sorting sticks and you know flags and stuff probably in most cases for keeping cattle calm yeah cool um well i've taken quite a bit of your time i don't know if you got anything else that i missed i'm sure there's quite a bit that i missed that i'm not thinking of um we could do it again it's all right but no, I appreciate it. Where's your next uh, clinic that's got availability? Um, this is the last one for the spring run, and it's full. And we don't currently have any scheduled for this fall, but I'm sure that they will. Uh, there'll be a few more scheduled in here soon. So, um, but yeah, as of right now, there's nothing on the books for for this fall, but I know that we'll probably do another one in Texas and then we should have one here at the ranch this fall. Cool. And then, uh, how do people find you and, uh, if they're wanting a puppy, how does all that stuff work? Um, I mean, Facebook, we have a website, just call and and get on the list. I mean, that's, you know, um, like I said, I, I do it a little bit different. I don't take pictures of them puppies when they're first born or anything like that because i did that before and then the, the puppy that then people picked didn't meet meet my standards and they were quite unhappy about that which I, really i thought i was doing them a favor but they were they were all mad and they're like well you just want to keep that one for yourself i'm like actually that one's going to some little girl but whatever yeah i did that this year with the, my my first litter and the one that got picked first ended up being deaf. So, <laughs> right, right. Then, then I'm, you know, telling them. Yeah, and, and then oh they, no, you just want to keep that for yourself. Yeah. That's the best one. Yeah, she had a lot of fight. But how do you train a deaf? <laughs> how do you train a deaf I, puppy? I, exactly. <laughs> anyway, cool. Well, I appreciate it. Um, Thanks a bunch for your time, and have a good rest of your day. You bet. You too. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.